Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And of course, joining me is your other host, James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire via USA Today. And Jay, of course, as always, it's good to be here with you on a Tuesday afternoon. We certainly wish that we would be celebrating a upset victory for the Jacksonville Jaguars. It wasn't quite that. It did come. Very, very close at certain points, and it certainly was exciting to watch. But ultimately, the Jags do fall to 0-3, and we're going to get into that here in just a moment. But other than that, man, how are you doing? And again, it's always good to uh, be here recording with you. Yeah, man, it was uh, another roller coaster of a ride, right, for uh, um, a game, especially for those who went like you. Shout-outs to all of y'all who was out there sweating bullets. Or I mean, I guess in some cases, some of y'all were in the, you know, in the club area or – uh, in suites or whatever the case may be, but glad to be back and talk about everything that went down and transpired. As you said, wish it would have been a one uh, a win, but nonetheless, that did not happen. I think we all knew in the back of our minds, like you know, like it, it probably can drive off a cliff sooner rather than later at some point because you know it is the Jaguars, and I mean, like you know, they just have to. We'll we'll get into this later. You know, they have to master winning. You know, and they don't have a lot of. They're a real young team still, you know, they're what I think what fourth in youth in terms of the age, the average age or something like that, fourth or even they might be younger than that, maybe third. Uh, so, you know, that's something they'll have to figure out. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll we'll see them finish more games off like that down the road. But as always, you know, glad to be back. Appreciate everybody for all the support. Everybody who's rated, comment, subscribe, you name it. We appreciate it. Ask that you all continue to stick with us throughout the season. I know it's going to be tough, but uh, we appreciate all the love nonetheless. That's right, everybody. We are all in this together. We're going to take you through the highs and the lows, a lot of lows, as we are accustomed to here as Jacksonville Jaguar fans. And of course, we're going to take a look back at the Jags matchup with the Arizona Cardinals, but we also are going to look ahead to the Thursday night matchup with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, with a friend of the show, John Sheeran, who is joining us from the Believe in Number One Bengals podcast. And we will bring in that interview here in just a moment. But before we do so, a little housekeeping. Of course, we have to give a shout out to our sponsor this week, Bet Online. Of course, Bet Online is back and better than ever. And all eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With the new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your bonus from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. 
Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. And just the last piece of housekeeping here, guys, we want to let you know, as you may have noticed last week, the episode came out a little earlier than usual. Now that the season has started, we are going to try and release episodes every Wednesday at the very latest Thursday. Of course, Jay and I are very busy and, uh, you know, editing takes a while for those of you who do not know. So we're going to do our very best each and every single week to get that episode out as early as possible. So you're prepped for the weekend game. And now, of course, this week's going to be a little bit different. You'll probably get it on Wednesday, the day before the game. So again, thank you all for keeping up with us through all the schedule changes. And again, it's to make sure that we get the content out to you as soon as possible. But before we get into breaking down the game against the Cardinals here, Jay, let's talk about a trade Monday morning, yesterday morning, I should say, we get the notification that the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Carolina Panthers have completed a deal and that has sent CJ Henderson and a fifth round pick to the Carolina Panthers for tight end Dan Arnold and a third round pick. Now, I'm sure it was really difficult for Urban Meyer and Trent Bulky Jay to get rid of that fifth round pick. It's their favorite thing in the world, but it does land us Dan Arnold and a third round pick. So, Jay, let's go through our initial reactions. You know, this was something, of course, we had heard rumblings of in the preseason and in the offseason. And lo and behold, here we are. A deal has come to fruition. And I'm sure a lot of this had to do with you know, the Jaguars woes at tight end, but also the Carolina Panthers losing JC Horn for an extended time, possibly for the entire season. Yeah. I mean, albeit we had already gone through this in the preseason and addressed the rumors and came to our own conclusions. You know, when you wake up on a Monday morning, you, I mean, like, well, I guess in the journalist shoes, me and you probably, and I, I, I'll ask you about this and ask for your take on this as well. I think as journalists, we're programmed to wake up Monday morning and be like, how can the Jaguars mess up my morning now, right? That's just what we've grown accustomed to. But nonetheless, despite that mindset, that still surprised me. And it, it didn't necessarily surprise me in a sense that we hadn't, we weren't expecting it in the sense that we had already been through this in the preseason. But it, it surprised me in the sense that I just thought like at this point that the Jaguars would kind of just be more patient is the way I should word it in terms of, uh, you know, C.J. Henderson and, and whatever the case may be, because they are really, really kind of somewhat a mess at cornerbacks. So, um, you know, I just thought it might be a situation where, you know, whatever issues came on that end, they would keep C.J. at least for one more year and then, you know, maybe down the road next year or whenever, maybe looking to trading him then. But nonetheless, even with the the issues they're going with uh going through at the uh cornerback position, they decided to make this move. I mean a lot of it, like you said, probably is the Carolina Panthers. Uh Urban Meyer said they were aggressive. They had been calling since last week. Uh so the Carolina Panthers were aggress- aggressive when they lost JC Horn. Uh and uh shout outs to him and you know uh prayers for him to get better. Uh, and, and maybe come back this year. If not, you know, prayers for him to come back next year. But, you know, they were really aggressive with that. And, you know, uh, the other part of it was, at least according to Urban Meyer, and this does make sense because he did, and we'll talk about this later in the actual game review, Tyson Campbell did show up big for them in terms of the game. Of course, like he let, I think it was one big chunk play that he uh, allowed. I forgot who it was on. It might have been Christian Kirk AJ or Green. one of those guys. Yeah, my yeah, AJ Green. That's because, because it was bulldog on bulldog crime there. I remember that. Uh, so, yeah, 
you know, he allowed that one play. But look, I mean, like, again, this is kind of getting into the review. That receiving core is pretty good. And you're going to allow some, you know, big plays on them, especially as a rookie. Uh, so overall, though, he looked good. Tyson Campbell did. Now, look, did he look good enough for me to go ahead and say, like, hey, let's trade C.J. Henderson? No, I would have been a little bit more patient, as I've already said. And, you know, maybe giving it some time, like a few weeks, two, three weeks, see if Tyson could be a little bit more consistent. But that did play into it. And uh, here we are, another first-round pick going, but this one going within a year or over, well, a year, a season and three games. And uh, that just kind of shows you, you know, it makes you wonder what research did Dave Caldwell and his crew, which included Trent Baalke last year, what kind of research did they do on this young man? Or lack of research, right? I think we've seen that going around a lot on Jaguar social media as well. Jay, let me ask you this. Do they probably, I mean, not that it matters now, are they probably having some sort of regret that they didn't trade him in the offseason or the preseason now that we've had these three, two, well, two games of tape, I should say, of him not necessarily playing very well? That is what I immediately thought of, is they let him put together bad tape because he didn't look good week two. And I didn't know, I was trying to decide if it was because of uh, the groin injury that he reportedly had because he was, you know, he was just kind of moving in a delayed way, you know? So like I was trying to figure, and you don't want to jump to conclusions. You know, I, I was trying to figure out was he, you know, just was it a lack of effort or was it a groin issue? So, I mean, when Urban Meyer and the team came out to say he was dealing with an injury and the presser that followed week two's game, you know, I just, I pinned it on that, you know, because I didn't, I wanted to give CJ the benefit of the doubt. And maybe some of that played into this. Maybe him being injured played into this, or maybe him not being injured and there being a lack of effort played into it. We don't know. You know, like only CJ knows his body and only the Jags, well, I guess the Jags wouldn't know if he's truly injured or not. Uh, so we don't want to pin that on him, you know. But long story short, he did not look good week two. Uh, week one didn't look all that great either. So he put together two bad, you know, in terms of week one and two, two bad pieces of film out there otherwise though if you would have just done it during the preseason or right directly after the preseason you may have couldn't you, you may have gotten a little bit more maybe I don't know I mean a third round pick when you think about it a third round pick while you don't want to get that up for somebody you spent the ninth overall pick on a third round pick for CJ Henderson isn't terrible you would but at the same time I think if they would have did it after the preseason, because remember on PFF, you know, for those who believe in PFF, they had him down as what, like the number two cover corner of the preseason. He looked fantastic in the preseason. So maybe what I'm getting at here is maybe they could have gotten more if they did it before week one's game against the Houston Texans. Yeah, again, it was just very, very shocking news to see in the uh, your first thing Monday morning and, you know, just another missed opportunity missed pick and I know a lot of people and, and this again is something that Jaguar fans love to do is you go back and you look at all the other players that were available at the time that we took CJ Henderson and honestly Jay I tweeted this out the morning of the trade the CJ Henderson pick I think is going to go down as one of the worst in Jaguar history not necessarily because CJ Henderson wasn't a good player but just because of all the talent that was available behind him and at the time, we were wondering if this was maybe a little bit of a reach. We did acknowledge that it was a position of need, of course, with the exit of Jalen Ramsey. 
But man, when you look at some of those players that were available between the wide receivers and the offensive linemen, I think that really is where it hurts a lot is some of those offensive linemen that were available. We're going to look back on this one in a few years and think, man, that was a pretty big swing and a miss. For those of you wondering, if you want to know a little bit about Dan Arnold, he originally was signed by the Saints in 2017 and spent his first couple of years with New Orleans prior to signing with Arizona in 2019. Now in 2020, he did post career highs with 31 catches, 438 yards, and four touchdowns in 16 games played. And then he did sign with Carolina prior to the 2021 season. And through three games, he has posted seven catches for 84 yards. So not necessarily the tight end, I think, that a lot of people were hoping they were going to trade for. Of course, we were hearing a lot of other names in the offseason, Evan Ingram, Zach Ertz, those never came to fruition. Now I'm wondering how much of this had to do with Jacob Hollister's struggles against Arizona. We'll get to that here in just a moment. But, you know, nonetheless, Dan Arnold is now a Jacksonville Jaguar and C.J. Henderson is a Carolina Panther. And Jay, I know you're bringing up your uh, mock draft here that you had prior to that draft in which we took C.J. Henderson. So, yeah, Phil, I went and looked up that last mock draft. And I don't know if this will actually help the conversation because um, these are, now that I think about it, these are players that I thought the Jags would take, not necessarily that I would take, you know, because it's not, we all know in journalism, it's not necessarily about what we would do. <laughs> it's about putting out there what the team would do. So, yeah, I mean, anyway, since you you set that up for me, uh, I will go and, and name off uh, who I had uh, in the last mock draft going to them before the draft where they took C.J. Henderson. Isaiah Simmons, who, you know, he's been up and down. And this is at number nine, by the way. He's been up and down. But great athlete. And, you know, we'll see where his career goes. Um, he was making plays week one. But, you know, before that, you know, it, it looked like he was kind of lost, um, at least according to most reporters. Then Denzel Mims, he's not getting a lot of play time with the Jets, but it's the Jets. So then again, like, you know, maybe it's more than them than him. But, you know, that's a time will tell type of thing. But they've been making him inactive lately. I had him going at number 20 in terms of the last mock draft. Bryce Hall, it came out that he actually had some medical issues going on. Uh, so he didn't go nearly as high as he should have, but I had him going to them at number 42. And then at 73, it was Cam Akers. And then lastly, at uh, 89, I had Alex Highsmith. Shout outs to his father, Mr. Highsmith. I was on the Shant Club podcast with him. Very cool dude. Very cool family. I had him going to the Jags at pick number 89, which they traded up for in the little simulation that I did. But personally... Um, everybody knew my personal opinion on what we should have done at 20. That was Justin Jefferson. Okay. And we all see how he's doing. And I can't remember who I was thinking they should personally go with, with the pick they took CJ Henderson with. It probably was, I say a Simmons, just like I did in my mock draft, but looking at it in hindsight, anything would have been better than CJ Henderson really, because they're giving up on CJ Henderson one season and three games into his career. So literally any other pick would have been better uh, that had a first round grade uh, in terms of what they should have did with that number nine, the number nine overall pick. Yeah, certainly some names there that, of course, would have been very, very beneficial in Jacksonville now. But, you know, yeah, like I said, you know, some of the names that were being thrown out there, Tristan Wirfs, Mackay Beckton, guys like that. So, you know, here we are. DJ Henderson no longer on the team. So 
all we can do is uh, focus on what is ahead. And uh, But before we focus on what's ahead, we're going to look back just a little bit against the Jaguars game against the Arizona Cardinals, in which, of course, they fell 31-19 and fall to 0-3 on the season. Now, Jay, as you alluded to earlier, of course, I was in attendance for this game myself as well as friend of the show, Eric Cerna. And I got to tell you, man, up through the third quarter, the energy in that building was fantastic. And it's just so apparent how desperate this city and this fan base is for a winner. And to go in and put up a really great fight against a team that is on the rise, you know, has arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and a guy that probably was in the MVP conversation, at least the first two games. Now, this game, he struggled a little bit, and a lot of credit goes to the Jaguars' defense, and we'll talk about that. But for them to be in it late, despite the continued kicking woes of one Josh Lambeau, which we again will talk about, was really, really impressive. So let's look at the offensive side of things here, Jay. Now, when you look at the numbers again, just as kind of has been the you know, par for the course for the, through these first two games, Trevor Lawrence's numbers may not look incredibly impressive. 22 of 34, 219 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. And the argument can be made that those two interceptions, not necessarily his fault, although one is a pretty bad decision. And we'll get to that one here in just a moment. But Jay, let's finally <laughs> applaud the Jaguars for running the damn ball <laughs> with your top 100 running back, James Robinson, 15 carries, which still isn't enough, by the way, 88 yards and a touchdown, averaging 5.9 a carry. Carlos Hyde, eight carries, 44 yards and 5.5 a carry. Really looks solid. Of course, Mr. Reliable Marvin Jones, six catches, 62 yards. We finally see DJ Chark get a touchdown, three catches, 49 yards and one tutty. And LaVisca Chenault, four catches, 48 yards as well. And then James Robinson, by the way, also chipped in six catches for 46 yards, doing a little bit of everything here. So Jay, let's talk about the offensive side of things here that kept things interesting. I, I know we went back and watched that eight play drive where it was all runs, nothing but James Robinson, Carlos Hyde and Trevor Lawrence. And uh, yeah, like I said, the stadium was, was definitely rocking. Yeah. You could tell and what helped the situation too, man. Shout outs to Aqib to leave. And um, uh, Gus Johnson, man, they did a great job Fantastic. on the call. You know, Akeem, great team. Akeem is new to me, and you have talked about this. He's new to the, you know, the journalism realm and the podcasting realm. But week by week, man, he's getting in. And I mean, he he knows the game of football, and that's all that matters, man. And he's a funny dude too, by the way. So, um, him and Gus Johnson did a good job, and uh, the fans really, uh, you know, from what we were seeing on TV. The fans were really into it, and they were excited, high-fiving each other. That was a good thing to see. Just imagine when the winning gets more consistent and, you know, we could better project what games that you're going to win instead of going in week in and week out and saying, oh, it's a crapshoot. They could win, but chances are they won't win. Just imagine if it gets back to where it was in 2017 where it was like we could win that one, that one, that one, and that one. So, you know, the fans will only – pile in there at TIA bank fill in higher numbers uh, when that happens. And hopefully it will happen. I mean, look, I mean, one thing me and you talked about, it's not what everybody was expecting in terms of, uh, you know, the loss to Houston kind of took some people by shock. The team is not getting better at the rate that people wanted them to get better at. And it might be because of Urban Meyer and Urban Meyer saying, hey, I want to be a playoff team right away. 
But, you know, for us in the journalism realm and a lot of fans too, a good majority of the fans, we knew that that wasn't realistic. And so therefore this gradually, this process of gradually getting better week by week doesn't bother us as much as it bothers others. Though you would like to see it getting better at a faster rate. But I digress from my point in terms of what you said about James Robinson. Yes, good to see him utilize, especially, uh, you know, in the first three quarters, he was utilized pretty, pretty well. And, you know, like you would want him to be. The thing is, Phil, he could be used even more. And Urban Meyer said that in the press conference. So a part of me is still saying it's more to be desired. You know, I still want to see him at 20, you know, carries or 20 plus carries. But I did a little research. And I look back at, I believe it was Daryl Bevel's, his first season with the Seattle Seahawks, should I say, as the offensive coordinator. And I think that might have been 2012. And if I can recall that year, it might have been uh, Marshawn Lynch. He started off with like kind of similar numbers in terms of the carry volume for a running back. So he started that year off not really wanting with some reluctance to not want to give the running back the ball. And then as the year progressed, you could see Marshawn Lynch or whoever the running back was getting 20, 25 carries and above. And, you know, the, the, the results were a little better in terms of winning and losing. So, you know, maybe Daryl Bellville is just a guy that just takes a while to get into a groove and fill out things. I don't know. But again, they can't. The progress can't stop here. They have to give James Robinson the ball more in this next upcoming game. I know the Bengals' defense in terms of the run is pretty ferocious, but still, do not stray away from the run. By doing that, you remove Trevor Lawrence from more of those dangerous situations that he was in, and you you can decrease his numbers in terms of the turnovers. Yeah, when you look at the turnovers, of course, there were a few fumbles. Trevor Lawrence had two. Uh, Luke Farrell, James Robinson each had one as well. So. They still have things, of course, to clean up. But the thing that I took away from this, Jay, is that at least on the offensive side of things, especially on the offensive line, you know, they're slowly putting some things together. Now, they're still getting penalties. And I think this is on the defensive side. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself, like 12 men on the field. That needs to stop happening. There's no reason for that to continue to happen on a week to week basis. But they're slowly putting together a complete positive game, you know, and that is really, really exciting. And I came away from this, as far as rewatching the game, a lot more positive than when I was there. And, you know, I'm upset because I'm there. It's hot. Like you said, we had a lead at one point. Josh Lambeau's missing field goals again. And again, we'll talk about the two sides of the coin when it comes to special teams here in just a moment. But upon rewatching the film, I feel a lot better and getting more and more confident in this team. You know, even though if it's not cranked up all the way, of course, anywhere near a 10, I'm feeling a little bit better. So what is there anything else you wanted to point out on the offensive side of things before we get to the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, well, I, this is this correlates to the team in general that I want to point to. And I think part of it is we've heard as many, many times they have to learn how to win and they're young. I said it earlier in the podcast, but part of it too is just the talent isn't there yet in some areas, you know, and the talent isn't there in some areas that we thought the talent would be there, which is that doesn't help the situation either. But I think like they need more alphas on a team to close out games like that. Because if you, I mean, like look no further than 2017, right? The year before in 2016, 
or, you know, years before. It was times where the Jaguars just would shoot themselves in the foot and just couldn't close games if they ever got a lead. They just didn't know how to win. And when you add more alphas into the equation, more all pros, more pro bowlers into the equation, you could get that done. That being said, you know, when they added, for example, a Calais Campbell into the equation, and when they added a A.J. Boye into the equation, they were able to close those games better than they were previously. It's not enough of those guys on the team yet. And they they will get there eventually, hopefully. Trent Baalke has to be way more aggressive in free agency than he was last year because that correlates to what I was telling you just like literally a minute ago. Some of the areas where we thought the Jags were going to be strong, they aren't strong. Yet. Therefore, they need some alphas in there. The main one being a place that they addressed in free agency, right, was the secondary. They spent all of this money on Rayshon Jenkins. They spent all this money on Shaq Griffin. And those are the guys that you hear Urban Meyer often say are the leaders of the locker room. But guess what? When it comes to the field, it's not necessarily translating on the field. They don't look like a Jalen Ramsey out there. You know, they don't even look like a Tayshawn Gibson out there. Or maybe even, dare I say, a Barry Church out there. And this isn't me knocking neither one of those players. But what I'm saying is Jimmy Smith hit on this, too. They put a little snippet out on this. I think it was from 1010XL. Jimmy Smith hit on this. You know, how can you anoint Shaquille Griffin, the leader, if you're Urban Meyer, if Shaquille Griffin is out there dropping picks and allowing big chunk plays? You know, so until, like, stuff like that gets fixed and they get some alphas in there that can help them close game, an alpha pass rusher, which I'm not saying Josh Allen is bad or anything. You know, he's been better this year. He has two sacks, for crying out loud. He's on pace to get double-digit sacks. But until you put somebody alongside him, like a Calais Campbell, they're not going to be able to close games as good as we want or as much as we want. They might be able to close some games here and there if the other teams shoot themselves in the foot like we do. But until that happens, you know, we're going to see results like this where they might jump ahead and then just can't finish it off. Uh, in the end. Yeah. And again, you're looking for guys in the locker room to, you know, step up like a DJ Chark who has had his struggles here in the early season. And, you know, that's a conversation I think we're going to have to have sooner rather than later is what is the future of DJ Chark? Because correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, he, this is his final year of his rookie deal, correct? Correct. And yeah, the touchdown was amazing. You know what I'm saying? And that was great. But uh, you know, three for 47 isn't going to cut it, you know. And again, that goes back to what I was saying. Marvin Jones or whoever is going to be the, the the main guy can't be the main guy receiver um, and not get any help. Marvin Jones is 31 years old. He can't continue to be the top receiver on his team for much longer. You hit the nail on the head. That's something that needs to be addressed in the future is, you know, DJ Chark and a guy that, you know, we were thinking we're gonna was going to put up better numbers. Uh, and he could. It might be just a matter of just finding himself because he missed time for the surgery. So maybe he finds himself and, you know, makes uh, himself some money to close out the season. Yeah, we certainly need more production out of DJ Chark for sure. It's only going to make Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault that much better. And of course, you know, their rookie quarterback. But let's get over to the defensive side of things here, Jay, for a unit that I think deserves a lot of credit. I mean, look at the numbers as far as. Uh, Kyler Murray goes and remember he had been torching his previous opponents 28 to 34 316 yards no touchdowns and one interception through the air he did have the rushing touchdown of course on the bootleg and honestly there's not really much you can do about that I mean Jay they were chasing him around all day and I think you really have an understanding especially when you see it in person 
that he's just too fast. He's too shifty. You're not really going to catch him. You're going to have to contain him as much as they can. And honestly, that's pretty much what they did. I mean, James Conner, 11 carries, 43 yards. Chase Edmonds, 11 carries, 26 yards. Now, Conner did have two touchdowns. But as far as big plays in the run game, the team looked pretty good. Yeah, and we've said it long, long, you know, before this, that that's a strength of this team is their rush defense. Like you said, Kyler Murray, seven carries for 19 yards. I mean, he had the touchdown where he walked in, sure. But when you're at the one-yard line and you commit to stopping a running back, that's that's going to be a walk-in for Kyler Murray. They did, for the most part, what they had to do against the run. And, I mean, you know, these touchdowns that we're seeing, they came on, like, you know, two, three-yard plays from, you know, first and first and goal, second and goal, third and goal, whatever the case may be. It was short-distance situations. So, yeah, they did what they had to do, and that's good. Of course, you know, the pass rush, and I already addressed that, you know, they, they probably need an alpha there in terms of the pass rush to get, and not to say it's been terrible necessarily. They get pressures kind of like, you know, Kevin O'Striker told us in the podcast. Uh, it's a pressure-based defense, but they need a Calais Campbell, somebody who's going to bring the, the actual quarterback down. But you can't be disappointed overall. Like I said, man, like Tyson Campbell came up and made plays. He was out there, uh, and I, I might be getting a little ahead of you here, Phil, but he was out there making plays and, batting down balls, and I saw him hit Max Williams one-on-one, like straight out flattened him. I was like, whoa, like, you know, cornerbacks aren't supposed to be able to do that. And then, of course, everybody, when he when Tyson Campbell makes a bad play, everybody's like, oh, there goes the Tyson we all know and love. It's like, well, with a receiver core that talented, it was going to happen. It probably going to happen to the rookie. Give him a break. Again, He's kind of he kind of fits the trend of what we've been saying, improving throughout the season. You know, he's doing that gradually with the team. Another person, Dewey Wingard, improving gradually throughout uh, the weeks with the team. Now, look, I still believe Andre Sisko needs more time out there than, uh, you know, or or maybe they should even out the time that him and Dewey Wingard are, are getting out there. But shout outs to Wingard, man. He's out there doing what he has to do. Uh, he saved the play, if I'm not mistaken. I saw it was in the first drive or the second drive. He saved the play where Christian Kirk ran a skinny post and he was full speed. And I'm thinking if Christian Kirk hit his stride, man, it's over. That's a that's a touchdown. And guess what? We're eight minutes into the game and people are like, oh, here goes the same old Jaguars and the mood is somber earlier in the game. People don't know. Dewey Wingard saved that touchdown. Maybe somebody could have caught Kirk from behind, but it's Christian Kirk. I wouldn't put money on it. He was probably gone nine times out of ten. So, you know, like I've been a critic of his and every week that he goes out there and perform as he did, I'm going to also – Shed some light on what he did, man. So, you know, shout outs to him for improving, man. It's, the secondary did look a little bit better, which is that's a good thing. They still got to be a little bit better in terms of those veterans, though, that I mentioned. Rayshon and oh, Griffin was OK, but, you know, we need them to be impact players, not just there. Yeah, no, the secondary certainly look much improved. And I'm glad you brought him up because I did want to shout out our friend Tom, who told me that he listens every single week. You know, when Dewey Wingard plays well, we're going to point it out because he is consistently putting up some of the best PFF numbers, again, for those of you that believe in that, each and every single week, and good for him. But I'm with you. I still believe that Andre Sisko needs to be getting more playing time, at least on par with what Dewey is getting. But, yeah, he definitely made some plays and continued to do so. Damian Wilson, later on, I think, uh, in the third quarter, has a dumb penalty. You know, he has the rough or the unnecessary roughness penalty. You got to clean that up as well. No room for that. But he also had a few really key stops, too. And like you said, they're just, you can really only do so much against this type of speed. 
And for what they had placed in front of them, they did very, very well. Loved what I saw out of Tyson Campbell, as you already mentioned. Now, Jay, I wanted to ask you when it happened, because I was making note of that hit too. Is that Was that part of his game at Georgia? Was he known as like a guy that can just like lay the lumber? Because that was a nice hit against Max Williams. Yeah, from what I can remember, I didn't remember Tyson being a big hitter. But I mean, like, that's the thing, though. It's kind of you kind of feel like you get a sense that it's there when you look at how he's built. And I mean, like Kirby Smart may not coach DBs how to get their head around and all of that. But, you know, Kirby Smart probably put some some rugged guys in his secondary. So, like, when you see Tyson Campbell make these type of hits, I mean, like, come on, man. Like, he, he went to the University of Georgia. If we if we can't do anything, we could be physical when, when push comes to shove, okay? <laughs> we'll always have that going for us, okay? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was shocked because I didn't see it often. But at the same time, I wasn't shocked because he has the size. And this is kind of the stuff that you heard them kind of praise him for when they drafted him. He has the size. He played, what was it, safety in high school that Urban Meyer said a little bit. So he has those capabilities. It's just more so uh, playing the ball when it's in the air. That was kind of his issue. But um, I can't wait to see more from him in, in terms of like hits like that, man. Like, cause that was that was a Richard Sherman like hit, bro. It was certainly very impressive. And I know a lot of people are going to point out, you know, the long pass that he gives up to AJ Green. But like in that situation, Jay, like when you're watching the ball go up there, I mean, essentially you're just trying not to get a pass interference call because it feels like that's kind of what AJ Green is trying to draw, right? That's what we're seeing in the NFL all over the place. And given that, I mean, the only other option would have been to just have a pass interference in that situation, right? I mean, what else is he going to do? Yeah, I have to go back and look at the play. But when I saw it initially, it looked like AJ did a good job of just boxing him out. Yeah, it's good position. Yeah, so yeah, on that play, I, I just think that might have been just good positioning on AJ Green's part. He kind of just, again, I have to go back and look at this play to be for sure. But it looked like he kind of just boxed him out like it was for a rebound or whatever the case may be. And when you're in that situation, you're going to have to go through the receiver and get the pass interference call. Or, I mean, like maybe hope that you get lucky like last week and you know get there a little early and the referees just miss it but uh Tyson probably didn't want to chance it there yeah but just like on the offensive side of things Jay again we're seeing bits and pieces of them slowly starting to put it together which is really kind of all you can ask for here at this point and uh, you know moving on to the last part here that we'll discuss before we get into our discussion uh, with John Sheeran from I believe in the number one Bengals podcast we're going to bring up special teams again because this is becoming a theme and again, the highest of highs and lowest of lows. And Jay, when we started, you know, I talked about how loud the stadium was. And man, the eruption in that stadium when Jamal Agnew returns that missed field goal, the kick six for 109 yards, and then amplified for those of you at home by the Gus Johnson call, which was just absolutely fantastic. I mean, Jay, I'm going to give a shout out here to our buddy Eric again, who was with me. He's pointing out, and this is a long field goal, you put Jamal Agnew back there, he's going to have a shot. And lo and behold, he gets that kick return. And man, it was absolutely electric. And keep in mind also, and people have pointed this out on Jaguar Twitter, a lot of the stadium is empty at this point because they've gone to go get concessions or go to the bathroom, whatever the case may be, right before halftime. We see that kick six unfold and it was nuts. I cannot tell you, just hands on my head, absolutely not believing what I had just saw. So, I mean, go through your emotions here, Jay, as when you see that kick six happen, because what a really fun time 
even though they ended up losing. I'll remember that as a Jaguar fan for a really long time. Yeah, because it was historic. You remember the historic ones, you know, and it, because, well, they lose a lot. So it's not a lot of historic <laughs> moments. There. There's like what the Mike Thomas touchdown, mm-hmm. you know, the day I was there for that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, <laughs> never, yeah. I lost exactly. my voice the next. Well, I lose my voice at the Airy Jazz game. Right? <laughs> right. To go way, way back. Remember, there's a, the 96 missed field goal by the Atlanta Falcons, you know, to get them into the wild card and they go on that run. There are moments like that. And the Jamal Agnew kick six is going to rank up there for sure. Yeah, and the Josh Scobie field going on the Colts. I was there for that one. Uh, where Jacksonville caught it at the uh, time. It was, uh, I think it was Curtis at the time that was playing Jacksonville. But yeah, man. Um, yeah, in terms of my emotion, see, my stream was behind. For those of y'all who saw me on the timeline. So my stream was behind. So I get a text from Boogie in our thread with me and you in it. And it says, oh, my God. And when you see, oh, my God. Nine times out of ten, you think it is something the Jaguars did stupid, right? <laughs> it could go either way. <laughs> right. So I just, I just, I just politely just turned my phone. I didn't mean to ignore you or Boogie. I just politely turned my phone upside down because I didn't want to know. <laughs> and I waited a few, about 20 seconds until it came on my stream. And I was like, dear Jesus, this man just made history. The only the third person to do that. And yeah, like Eric said, that's a dangerous situation for the kicking team. Because you will have predominantly offensive linemen on the field and two tight ends and the kicker and a placeholder. The kicker and the placeholder, chances are they aren't that fast. And they're the smallest dudes on the field. Chances are the fastest people on the field are the tight ends. And everybody else's offensive linemen. So will you play that game? And, you know, in Cliff Kingsbury's defense now, if you're going to go for that, you know, what was it, 67, 66 yards? If you're going to go for it. 68. Yeah, 68. If you're going to go for it, there aren't many better kickers in the league to do it than with than Matt Prater, right? You know, maybe uh, Justin Tucker. It's a few other kickers out there, but Matt, it makes sense. That wasn't by any means uh, not smart on Cliff Kingsbury's part, especially trying to spark his offense, who well, they only had seven points at that point. So that, that wasn't a bad call on them. Uh, but just do know uh, that when you do miss that field goal or if you miss that field goal, that you're at a speed disadvantage. And that was the case with Jamal Agnew, and he took it back. And it was one that we'll always remember for years and years and years to come. And let's just say it right now, with the two weeks that Jamal Agnew has had, Jamal Agnew should be, if they made the all-pro vote for kick returners this year, like right now, he should go. And, and it's, it shouldn't be probably close. He should go. Uh, made history one week and made he kind of made local history in terms of the Jaguars the week before uh, the first person to return a kick since, what, 2016 when Marquise Lee did it. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny just how quickly things can change where people are complaining about the money spent, the very small amount of money, mind you, spent on Jamal Agnew. And now he's one of the most exciting parts on the team. And, you know, credit where credit is due for not only Eric, but also UJ, who'd been calling this, you know, from the very get-go. So he's, again, become just an attraction. And it's fantastic to see him have this early success and also show people, hey, this is why I'm here. This is my thing. Now, with the good, you, of course, have to talk about the bad. You know, you go to the extra point. After the kick six, Josh Lambeau immediately misses it, misses the field goal on the touchdown run from James Robinson. And we have to talk about this Josh Lambeau problem. It's not surprising to me that he's still on the roster, of course, with the quick turnaround. 
But after this Thursday night game, Jay, I mean, if you see more kicking woes, that's got to be it for him after if he struggles again on Thursday night, right? Right. And you got to think that you you would be hesitant to put him in for Thursday night football at this point. Like, because when you've hit such a low that you can't hit, like, let's throw the the field goals out of the equation, right? Field, which are, you know, they could be 30, 20 yards, 50, 40. Let's throw those out. Yeah, of we're the talking equation. about extra points. I should have been more clear. So yeah, we're talking about extra points. Right. When you can't make extra points as a professional kicker in the league and you miss two, by the way, in this league, that's not good. That's not good at all. I don't know if it's a confidence or an injury thing, but, you know, Urban Meyer cannot die on the sword of Josh Lambeau. You know, I mean, he I guess he can, but that wouldn't be smart. Like I said last week, that just wouldn't be smart at all. So they brought in a young man, Matthew Wright that went to UCF and um, he's four of four in the only field goals he's attempted in terms of the regular season. XFL uh, that, alum, baby. <laughs> right, right. He was with the uh, Steelers when he made those. So a hundred percent kicker. Now, granted, I don't think uh, I wrote about this today. None of those were over 35 yards, but I mentioned him because of this. If you're going to be missing kicks and whatnot and field goals and extra points, you might as well do it with a young guy and help use that as a learning experience for him because Josh Lambeau's 28, 29 years old. It's almost nothing you could do to get him to perform better. He's a veteran. He's seen it all. He's done it all. And he's making these mistakes. You can't get him to perform any better at this point. Chances are, um, I know he did it earlier in his career, but he's at the back end of his career and there's clearly something wrong now. So if you're going to be missing kicks and extra points, you might as well do it with a young guy. And coach up the young guy. Use it as a, a learning experience for the young guy. But we'll see what they do. I mean, you would assume Josh Lambeau with him being on the roster still and getting paid a lot of money, he's going to kick for Thursday night football. But you better believe we're all going to be holding our breath when he takes the field this Thursday night against the Bengals. Yeah, you got to think he is probably performing for his job. That's essentially where we are at now with Josh Lambeau. I mean, you're talking about the difference between the game being 24-21 as opposed to it being 24-19. to Now, granted, of course, they ended up winning by 12, but you're looking at a three-point game instead of a 12-point game with a, uh, I'm sorry, instead of a five-point game, you know, and that makes a huge difference, of course, having to get that field goal instead of uh, the touchdown. So that's where we're at now as far as special teams, you know, one side of the ball doing really, really great things. Even Logan Cook, I mean, he is kicking the crap out of this ball. Of course, he's working a lot, but he's not only, you know, getting a lot of punts down inside the 20, but also, I mean, he has that moment where he pushes Rondale Moore out of bounds. And, you know, maybe Rondale Moore was a little bit past the point of return as far as, you know, where how much farther he can go. But that's good effort by Logan Cook. So when you have two out of the three of the most important players on special teams working, that's really good. But the problem is that, that third one, being Josh Lambeau and your kicker, that's something you got to fix right away. So hopefully it gets it gets fixed uh, sooner rather than later. But yeah, he's the one that's holding them back from being an all pro specialist unit. And he's the oldest. He's the most experienced. Logan Cook is punting and you don't like to brag about this because that's an indictment on your team. But Logan Cook is punting at an all pro level. Jamal Agnew, we just said, is returning at an all pro level. Josh Lambeau, who had a Pro Bowl-like skill set in the past when he was with the Jaguars, 
is not holding his end of the bargain. And by the way, when you're again, when you're the fourth or third youngest team in in the league, your veterans, your top guys can't do that. They can't. He has to be an example for the 21, 22, 23 year olds. And, you know, here we are having this conversation. So they like they literally are one player away from being the best special teams unit in football. And that's crazy because they lost Joe Millis. But then again, it's not crazy because that's what Urban Meyer loves. Exactly. So they need to figure that out sooner rather than later. As you mentioned, it is holding them back greatly. But Jay, before we get into this uh, conversation with John Sheeran from the number one Bengals podcast, is there anything else you wanted to point out from this matchup with the Arizona Cardinals before we look ahead to Thursday night football? No, I mean, I pretty much said uh, everything that I wanted to get off my chest. Surprisingly, this didn't become as angry of a podcast well i mean we're professionals we don't get too angry on it it didn't come uh become as a uh, yeah right right yeah of course of course but uh yeah this this was a a more uh light-hearted and positive podcast than i thought it was going to be um hopefully we could talk about a win next time that'll make it even more positive um against the Bengals. exactly and like we said they're putting it together and for those of you that are still upset if you do have the ability to go back and watch the game for three and a half quarters, they're incredibly competitive and, and you can see bits and pieces of them starting to put it together. And hopefully that, you know, culminates in a victory and a full positive game here on Thursday Night Football against the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, we get a rematch between Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence. It's going to be very exciting to see here in prime time. But with that being said, folks, let's go ahead and bring in John Sheeran from Believe in the number one Bengals podcast as we prep you for Thursday Night Football. All right, everybody. So it is time to go behind enemy lines for Thursday night football, previewing the Jacksonville Jaguars matchup with the Cincinnati Bengals. And as mentioned, joining us is a fellow Believe podcast host here, John Sheeran from Believe in the Number One Bengals podcast. And John, you know, even though we've worked with Daddio and Dr. Hoji over there, we have never worked with you. So super excited to have you on here today and excited for this matchup between, you know, two former number one overall picks, you know, a little bit of a rematch, I guess you could say from their college days. So it's really exciting to have at least both of our franchises be featured here on primetime football. Hopefully we come through and it's not embarrassing as you guys kind of talked about when Jay joined you guys. So John, let's go ahead and get right into it here. You know, of course we have a first time head coach, uh, NFL head coach, as far as Urban Meyer and Zach Taylor was once in that same boat and, you know, an offensive minded head coach trying to find his way with a number one overall pick quarterback, as we mentioned, could you talk about his journey so far and kind of your thoughts on his run, you know, at least early on through the first three games of the season. So Bengals fans entering the season, they recognize what Burrow was in his rookie year and thinking, okay, this guy's, he may not be like, down the line, like number one overall material, but he, at the very least, he's going to be a, a good quarterback, you know, and that's, that's all that fans can ask for. Right. So entering the season, there was like, okay, the offense is going to be good. Right. So let's just focus all the resources on building up this offense to be a dominant unit. And then the, the team and Zach Taylor and the front office, were like, you know what? I like that, but we're just going to do the exact opposite and invest a lot in the defense and just worry about offense in the draft, right? So, so far this year, the Bengals defense, I believe, is top 10 in DVOA and like they're a pretty good special teams unit as well. And the offense is like 25th 
because against the Vikings and the Steelers, they were decent at times. They scored like 27 and 24 points respectively. And then they ran into a brick wall against the Chicago bears. So, so far this offense under Taylor, because he's the one calling the plays on offense has not been, it's been anywhere, but consistent. And even the good things I think are mainly because Joe Burrow is looking really good coming off his injury. So despite the two, one record, this is like the furthest into any season that Zach Taylor has been above 500. I think there are still major questions as far as his game planning and his play calling and his scheme in general, they are really relying on running the ball in early downs. I think they're, they like lead the league or I guess they're last in the league, I guess, in expected pass rate over expectation, whatever that stat is. So they are playing really conservative and just leaning on Joe Mixon. And that could be because they want to ease Burrow back into you know getting his feet wet coming off of that injury but I think that lack of aggression is kind of hindering the offense at the moment and I think that kind of relies or falls right on Zach Taylor so the record looks nice and winning in Pittsburgh is something that hasn't been done since 2015 so there are some positives through the first three games of Taylor but I think there's still a lot to be said about the lack of consistency on offense and I think a lot of that kind of falls on him. In your opinion is there a scenario or a certain amount of wins or progression that you guys are looking at from Zach Taylor to ensure that, you know, he is at least safe through this year and going into next year. So the expectation I think for most people is that like the Bengals are going to finish last, like this division was tough. Like the Steelers are, they may not be great, but they're still going to be around 500. But I think for Bengals fans and just, you know, just people who follow the team around like seven or eight wins, I think was the target for, for him. He started with two wins 2019 then he got to uh, four last year because Burrow went down midway through the season I think to at least be competitive throughout the entire season to not be near the bottom of the entire league in the draft order to at least finish above fourth in the division I think was the expectation for him to build confidence and build proof of concept if you will with his overall plan going into year four if he finished like with five or six wins or even less than that I think then major questions about his firing would arise towards the end of the season. And, and if he had like a one and eight start to start the year, then there would be pitchforks coming out of Paul Brown stadium as well. But I think if he gets to around seven or eight wins this season, and then look towards next season as like an actual year of contention, I think that would be in the realm of reasonable expectations. And so far he's kind of on that trajectory. Yeah. That's similar to what we're kind of looking for here as well, Jay. Like we're not expecting to compete. We're not expecting to make some sort of playoff run. We just want to, I think, like you, John, we want to know that our young quarterback is progressing and then you're competitive. And we got a little bit of that here, at least against the Cardinals last week, Jay. So, you know, the competitiveness is there and we are hoping to put together a complete game against you guys in Cincinnati here this Thursday night. But, you know, with that being said, I know Jay is going to get into our next question. And of course, we're going to talk about your franchise quarterback. Yeah. And before I get into that, just real quick, want to chime in a lot of what John said. It sounds like the 2017 Jaguars, right? But see, it's different with them in a sense that they probably are trying to protect Joe Burrow and they don't want mm. him dropping back too much to protect him. With the Jaguars, it was they didn't want Blake Bortles to screw up the game. But it's like they got that same along the lines of that same game plan of from what John is saying, at least rely on the defense and the run game, which the Jags did. Leonard Fournette, historic, uh, you know, sack numbers that the Jaguars were putting up. And, uh, you know, see how many games we can win that way. And, they, look, man, they make it grind it out that way in that division. I mean, they already beat Pittsburgh once, and uh, maybe they can get more wins in that division than people are expecting. But it's a time-will-tell type of thing. But, yeah, as Phil said, I just wanted to know about Joe Burrow. And could you explain his growth throughout this year? But you kind of already talked on it. But 
are there any growth patterns you you've seen in the last three games or and um you know also what are the expectations for him as well just like we asked for the expectations on Taylor it's tough because you look at the career arc of Joe Burrow and most Bengals fans got acquainted with him in 2019 when he was lighting college football on fire with LSU. And they're thinking this guy is just football Jesus, right? I mean, he doesn't have Trevor Lawrence's hair. So he's not literally Jesus in that sense, but like he was doing no wrong in his last year with LSU and he was coming into the NFL riding this hot streak. So he entered the NFL and, you know, even in his rookie year, it wasn't all perfect, but he showed things that Bengals fans never saw from like the eight or nine years of Andy Dalton. So when he went down and then there was the timeline of him coming back for the start of the 2021 season with that nine month window, they're thinking, okay, he's going to come back and he's going to look like his old self. And you know, this, this guy's a superhero, right? There's going to be no setbacks or or anything like that. But I think it took a couple of weeks for him to really reacclimate himself with how he likes to play the game. There wasn't a lot of mobility in the pocket against the Vikings and the bears respectively. We didn't see him really create out of structure. And that was such a big element of his game in LSU and as a rookie last year. And that really didn't pop up until against the Steelers. And I think having no TJ Watt or Alex Highsmith or Steven Tewitt to worry about definitely impacted that. The Bengals offensive line played pretty well against a banged up Steelers defensive line, but he was kept clean for like the most out of any of the 14 or 13 games he's played so far as the Bengal. And that probably made an impact. He looked as confident as ever against the Steelers. He was making consistent throws after he threw an unfortunate interception in the first quarter. But after that, he was basically perfect against the defense that has historically given the Bengals offense fits. So I think last week was kind of a turning point, not only for Burrow and getting his confidence back, but really the entire team. And when they see their leader, Joe Burrow out there looking like his old self, I think that also gives a boost for the rest of the team as well. Yeah. Also the springboard off that question, while it's fresh on my mind um, off that answer, that offensive line, could you talk about, because that was, you know, we talked about that on y'all's podcast last year. That was the concern this year. Could you talk about any upgrades or additions y'all made there? Uh, because I mean, like, you know, we, we've seen it before, not necessarily Trevor Lawrence isn't going through a lot of rough patches in terms of getting hit, but we've seen it before in the past with other quarterbacks for us. Could you talk about any improvements they made there specifically? So they didn't add Panay Sewell, uh, despite the, the anguish of the general public, but they did add a new right tackle in Riley Reef, who is a like a 10 or nine year veteran playing right tackle. He was once with the Detroit Lions and the Minnesota Vikings. So he's been solid at right tackle so far. No real complaints there. He's kind of banged up right now. And I think he was limited during Tuesday's practice. So definitely something to watch for for the Jaguars. And they also drafted a right guard, Jackson Carmen, in the second round. He made his first start against the Steelers because the incumbent starter Xavier Suofilo injured his knee against the Chicago Bears. So he actually looked pretty decent for a rookie playing his first game against a really tough defensive line. Carmen was a left tackle. He was Trevor Lawrence's left tackle at Clemson. So he's making a transition to a brand new position on the other side of the offensive line. But I think his skill set and his attributes fit best as a guard in the NFL. And he kind of looked the part, you know, he's pretty explosive as a run blocker and he's very fluid as a pass protector, but it really is just about connecting those physical traits to the mental traits and really kind of combining them on a rep uh, for rep basis. So there are still some things that he needs to work out, but as a 21 year old rookie, he looks pretty okay. And I think as long as he progresses at least, you know, marginally well and Riley reef stays solid next to him, the offense line does look improved compared to last year. And 
over a 17, now 17 game season. I don't think Burrow is going to get hit nearly as much as he did last year. The first two weeks were kind of rough. You know, the Bears and Vikings both have very pass rushes, but now you have a, a new and improved right guard in there over Xavier Suofilo, and you have mostly stability of, of the other four positions. So they didn't do too much over the offseason, but I think they did enough to make it at least a noticeable improvement. Yeah, I agree when you name all of those names. Uh, I mean, Jackson is one that we were familiar with. I don't know if Phil mock draft him to us a few times, but I did. And, of course, like, you can't watch Trevor Lawrence film as much as we did and not notice him, his left tackle, right? So we got familiar with him. Yeah, and it's good to see him making that transition to guard because I had questions about him as a tackle. I, I thought it was possible he could pull it off, but – I thought guard might be more along the lines of what he could do. Uh, we'll see where his career goes. That'll be interesting to watch unfold. And um, yeah, man, I mean, it's just it's good to hear that, you know, you guys got somebody like Riley Reef, you know, got a veteran up in there. That's what we like to hear in terms of helping out these young quarterbacks because, you know, they are the future of the NFL. Absolutely, man. Like just, it, it was, it was tough. Like not only for Bengals fans, but, you know, I feel like Joe Burrow is, really well liked throughout the league as is Trevor Lawrence as he's coming into his own. So just like seeing the reactions from around the league, like this guy is getting just beat up all the time. And it, it was, it was honestly borderline negligence to put him behind that offensive line last year. And they had a terrible offensive line coach and they replaced him this offseason. That's also something that isn't really talked about. Like their new offensive line coach, Frank Pollock, he really made his name known with the Dallas Cowboys when they had a dominant offensive line with guys like Tyron Smith and Travis Frederick and the peak days of Zach Martin there. So he has a great track record. And I think his improvements with just coaching and, and technical improvements with the rest of the offensive linemen, I think that has also gone a long ways. We're seeing improvements from both Jonah Williams and Quinn Spain at left tackle and left guard. Jonah Williams was a first round pick, I think two years ago out of Alabama and he didn't really play tremendously well last year he showed flashes but I think he's honestly taking a step in the right direction as well so the coaching as well as the personnel I think I think has both improved yeah yeah I I agree that the league loves Joe Burrow because I remember when he tore his ACL like like he's he's very relatable because he came from for me he came from a small town where football is kind of the big deal that that's the biggest event that takes place in the town that he's probably from. Right. I forget mm -hmm. where he's from, but he, you know, he's from a very small area. He talked about it and, you know, like the, the poverty rate. I remember him explaining that in um, the Heisman speech he had. And like, that's all it took for me to be a fan. And then when he went down, it was like, man, like I feel for that kid. And I think everybody else, as you said, in the, you know, the NFL nation, which is hard to do because the NFL fan base is a civil war, right? It's a bunch of fans right, going right. at each other. But they literally everybody came together and they felt for Joe Burrow, which is rare. They, we could never agree on anything in the NFL in terms of a fan base. But that definitely brought a lot of people together. And it's good to see they addressed that. It is, it is kind of cool, too, because like people made or kind of ran with the topic that Burrow was like a hometown kid from Cincinnati. He was actually he was born in Iowa, but he soon moved to Athens, Ohio, which is on the other side of the state, still on the south side, but like southeastern Ohio. So that was the impoverished uh, area that he was referencing in his Heisman speech. But he is back in Ohio. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence was a guy from, I believe, Georgia. And then he played college football in South Carolina. So now he's playing, I guess, geographically with like what you would consider like the, the geographical close uh, professional team to where he kind of grew up. So it is kind of cool that they both kind of found places where, you know, kind of local in, in a sense, not like directly in their hometown, but they're in places that they're kind of familiar with. And I think they're in great places to really develop. Yeah. That's a really good point too, because I can just kind of speak for it. Having been to 
the two home games this year, you see a lot of Clemson Trevor Lawrence jerseys. So even if they're not necessarily like full all in on the Jaguars, they're still following him. And like you said, you know, these two guys are certainly very likable. And y'all echo what Jay said, you know, seeing him go down with that injury was it was it was just tough, man. It was really sad to see because you want these guys to be around. You want to see them play and compete and get better. Joe Burrow came into Austin and beat the crap out of my Texas Longhorns. And I still like him. Like I'm still, I still like Joe Burrow, even though he like embarrassed my team, which to be fair, isn't that difficult to do, but you know, that's, that's another show. <laughs> we won't talk about that, but let's get into it. Yeah. Like I'm like Trevor Lawrence is from the state of Georgia. And I'm like, dude, like how did he not go to UGA? And I'm still not even mad at him. You know, like you can't, you right. can't hate these guys, man. Yeah. You know, and John, you actually kind of talked uh, or touched on this a little bit here as far as our next question. You know, we just want to talk about kind of the changes we've seen now between the Bengals. Now, last year, the these two teams played and it was like uh, it was a shootout. We didn't necessarily expect that two teams that were very good. It ended up being 33-25 in y'all's favor. But, you know, talk about any other changes here as far as the Bengals roster that maybe weren't around last year between free agent pickups as well as, you know, of course, some of those draft picks you guys had this uh, this past offseason. So like I said in the beginning, their main additions came on the defensive side of the ball, which kind of echoes or it was familiar, similar to what they did in 2020 as well. They added uh, edge rusher Trey Hendrickson in free agency. They added cornerbacks Shadobi Awuzie and Mike Hilton in free agency soon after that. Their defense was not good last year, and I think that's why the Jaguars ended up scoring 25 points against them. It, it, was, it was rough. They had basically no healthy defensive tackles at all throughout the entire the entirety of the season. Geno Atkins like played like 100 or so snaps or something. He didn't play, or he barely played against the Jaguars in that game. So the defense got an overhaul. They, they got Luna Rumo. It, it's still up in the air whether or not he is a good defensive coordinator. He's been there for three years, and no one really knew his name when the Bengals hired him in like the middle of February of the 2019 offseason, but it does seem now like he has the personnel to fulfill the scheme that he wants to run. And the results have been good. Like they, they shut out uh, the bears when Justin Fields was on the field and they, you know, they took advantage of Ben Roethlisberger looking like a senior citizen at quarterback last week. So the quality of, of opposition has been, it's a little bit in question as to whether or not this defense is actually legit compared to what their numbers say, but they're at least playing solid football and they're rushing the passer really well. I think they have, 13 sacks through three weeks, and they had 17 at all last year. Part of that is because of Hendrickson. They traded for a defensive tackle, B.J. Hill. They got him for just trading away a bust first-round pick in Billy Price right before the season started. He has, like, three sacks as well as a rotational defensive tackle. D.J. Reader is back healthy. He played against the Jaguars and played pretty well, if I remember, last year. So there's a lot of new faces on defense. That's where the majority of the turnover happened in the offseason, and that's really what's carrying this team right now. Like, even when the offense – is not really clicking if they're getting three and outs or the punting ball after like five plays defense at the very least is bending and not breaking They're not giving up, you know, explosive plays They're not giving up quick touchdowns or anything like that. So defense is playing a lot. Well, Oh, Larry Ogunjobi as well. They signed him in the off season and he's been a stud at three technique. That's what they were lacking last year when Geno Atkins wasn't healthy or when he was playing, he wasn't as effective as he used to be. You know, Larry Ogunjobi looks like kind of it's shades of the old Geno Atkins, if you will, that's high praise, obviously, but that, like that impact, it, it helps guys like Hendrickson and Hubbard finish their rushes off the edge. So the defensive line is clicking on all cylinders and it's really carrying the rest of the defense. I got a question before Phil step in. What does it take for us to get Jesse Bates? Like what, what kind of trade compensation? <laughs> That's my guy, man. I love Jesse Bates. Well, I mean, he's 
in the last year of his contracts, uh, they were trying to extend him before the season began. And I think they were not offering him what he wanted. So, and, and Bates unfortunately had some things to say about that before the season started. So I don't know, like maybe he'll be available if they don't franchise tag him in the off season. He's actually nursing a neck injury right now. And I don't think that he practiced on Tuesday. So you guys might be pretty lucky and you might not have to face him. Yeah, Jesse, do what's best for your body, man. And just sit this <laughs> out, you know, take care of your body. Just relax. Just, just relax. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, again, you know, we just wanted to touch on that, of course, because, you know, both of these rosters, you know, going through, you know, a little bit of a overhaul, maybe one more so than the other, but it's always nice to hear what kind of changes are being made, at least on a, you know, on a year to year basis. But uh, Jay, I know you have a, uh, I'll let you go ahead and get into the next question here. Yeah. So you talked about the defensive coordinator and you talked about this defense and how improved they look. So, like, in your eyes right now, in the three games that they've taken the field, and I guess you can resort to the preseason, too. Like, uh, what's a weakness that you've seen that maybe the Jaguars could look to exploit there? I know in y'all's podcast, you talked about them having a good run defense, which could be an issue for Jacksonville. And they're in the, you know, they're in the process of trying to get James Robinson the carries he needs. He had 15 last game. He still needs about five, six, seven more. And they can interrupt that. So that being said, yeah, what are some weaknesses you see on uh, the the part of that Bengals defense? I think the secondary might be an area that can be exploited. Trevor Lawrence has been fascinating to watch in his first three weeks. I think Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out something very interesting. He's his like his average depth of target is among like the league's leaders, and that's where a lot of like the mistakes may happen if, if him just forcing the ball down the field. So we know that Lawrence is right now pushing the ball down the field and it's going to test the Bengals secondary that, that potentially won't have its best player in Jesse Bates. They've done a good job of preventing explosive plays and downfield throws, but if they have a backup uh, free safety in there next to Von Bell, who in his own right is not the greatest coverage safety, that could be a potential issue for this defense. They should be getting cornerback Trey Waynes back from injury. He missed the first three games with a hamstring injury, but even if he does play, he, you know, it will be his first game since I want to say the 2020 playoffs. So he's probably going to be rusty. So if you have Marvin Jones or or DJ Chark on the perimeter going up against Trey Waynes for the first time in his first game in 20 months, that could be something to potentially exploit. Jadobi Wuzier has looked improved since he came over from Dallas, but there are still some inconsistencies with his coverage overall. So as long as the Jaguars at least do a decent job of protecting Lawrence for most of the game, he should have some opportunities to attack uh, the Bengals defense downfield. When you when you talk about that and what Trevor Lawrence is doing in terms of pushing the ball down the field, that makes me wonder: is are we looking at another shootout like before? We, who knows, man? It's always wacky when these teams get together, man. And you throw them on Thursday night football, and it's no telling what's going to happen, man. It it could be a spectacle for people to watch, and then again, it can be what 2017 was, where people throwing hands and brawling right field. <laughs> it's just craziness. I don't know how fondly fans remember that now since it involves Jalen Ramsey and like the fan base, like just refuses to acknowledge that he exists. So I don't know if people really want to talk about that. And then lo and behold, AJ green comes into, you know, Jacksonville last weekend and and eats. So maybe he was a little bit upset about that. And he remembered, even though Jalen Ramsey is no longer here. The funny thing about that, I mean to cut you off is when Jalen Ramsey left, Everybody was all like, well, now we can come to the conclusion and, and tell it like it is. A.J. Green won the fight. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people do remember that fondly if yeah. we're being honest about it. Like, they went back to that. But, uh, you know, that's that's the Jags fan base for you. It's strange how that narrative can change here. But 
We have uh, just a, a couple more here for you, John. Now, uh, we're going to get into your prediction here in just a moment, but I actually meant to follow up with this question after I asked you about uh, the additions. We, we like to ask our guests if there is anybody, and even if you're not necessarily, of course, we don't expect you to be 100% familiar with the Jaguars roster, but we always like to ask our guests if, they're, uh, if you could pluck one player from the Jaguars roster and place them on your team, who would that player be? That is a really good question. So there were rumors, I guess fake rumors, because Jason LeCanfora reported them, and he's always wrong. There were fake rumors that Andrew Norwell was going to be a cap casualty, and he ended up not being. So I think he's still playing at a decent level at left guard. And I think Bengals fans like Quinn Spain, but I think Norwell would have been a clear upgrade over him. So, you know, the offensive line is still decent. For, it's playing decent for the Bengals, but it, it could definitely definitely still be improved upon. If they could have Norwell for like a season or two, I think that would – that would bode well for them. Uh, I'm trying to think of someone on, on defense, like Miles Jack. Like, I, I think he's still really good. I, th- I know Joe Burrow praised him in his press conference today. I think he called him like the best, one of the best linebackers in the league. So, you know, he's still a, a ball of athleticism. I remember even back in his days at UCLA when I think he played some on offense, like he was one of my draft crushes that, that year. So Jaguars have talent. Like that, that's what happens when, you know, like the Bengals are experiencing that. Like when you draft high in the draft year after year, you start to accumulate some talent and your team is starting to form together. And that's kind of what the Jaguars are starting to do as well. Even though like the whole team is not completely together, you still have talent throughout the roster that you can hopefully build around. I like that Norwell pick because I think, and Jay, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, the relationship between Jaguar fans and Norwell has definitely been strained. And I think a lot of that has to do is with the fact that we brought him in after 2017 and he was being kind of heralded as this piece that we needed to get over the hump. And then 2018, of course, didn't go that way. He still played very, very well. And I think you even mentioned this when you joined John and them is, you know, the, uh, the run blocking has been really solid. So that doesn't happen on accident. You know, James Robinson doesn't become a top 100 player on accident without good, you know, good run support. So I, I, I really like that pick. We'll get into your prediction. Now, you did mention it. The other night when Jay joined you guys, but for those of you, uh, for those of our audience that didn't get a chance to check it out, you know, what is your prediction, your score prediction for this game? How do you think it's going to go down? So I think I, I initially went with like kind of a low scoring affair, but honestly, I think James has a point. Like these Thursday night games are wacky. And when, in my mind, when I think of like wacky games, I think of sloppiness on offense and it leads to low scoring games. But I think the trend has been like the NFL in itself now, like, when there's crazy and stupid games, like there's a lot of scoring, there's a lot of miscues on defense because it's just naturally easier to score the ball more. That's what we've kind of seen in Thursday night games. Like I didn't expect that Giants and uh, Washington game to have like 60 combined points. And I especially didn't expect New York to almost win that game. But I think that's kind of like the trend of these Thursday night games. Like it's going to be crazy. It's going to be stupid, but it's going to end up with points. So I originally went with like 20 to 12 Bengals, but I think I'm going to go more on the lines to like a, a 31 to 28 Bengals victory. I, I, I do think the Jaguars at the very least cover the seven and a half point spread and they could potentially win. Like I, it's very much looking like a trap game potentially for the Bengals. Like if Trevor Lawrence just gets hot and has his first like real efficient game of the season, which is possible against the banged up secondary with the Bengals, like they could easily pull this one off. I'll well, say this too. In, the, in that year that the Jags actually were good, and that could be potentially what this is for the Bengals, hopefully, um, except for tomorrow. But in that year, you're right. Like, a, a lot of what happened was they would go into these trap games and lose them. They lost the games they had no business losing, but won the games that they shouldn't have won. Like, being Pittsburgh twice in Pittsburgh at Heinz Field and embarrassing them. 
So it was the weirdest thing. So like this, uh, that could be kind of a similar dynamic here with, with the Bengals this year, but I guess we'll, that's something we can reflect on later when the Bengals put together a full season and we see what their record is. But I would not be surprised if like the Bengals have a wacky season where it's like, you know, they surpassed the seven wins you saw them have, you know, and just some craziness happens and they're, you know, maybe a nine, 10 win team, who knows. But it's a lot of development that has to go into it. As you said, a lot of growth that has to go into it. And uh, time will tell. But I mean, like, they're off to the right start. That's for sure. And um, we'll see uh, where they end up in the end. And John, I can totally see that score panning out, except you're off a little bit because Josh Lambeau is the kicker. So if you take four extra points away from four touchdowns, it'll be 31-24. So (laughs) you're close. I can certainly see that happening. But, you know, things, of course, have not been going very well. With Josh Lambeau, as we talked about earlier in this episode, Jay, I mean, he's essentially kicking for his job at this point as far as Thursday Night Football goes. But, John, thank you so much for joining us. Jay, did you have any other questions for our guests before we uh, let him get out of here? No, I mean, you pretty much covered it. Even the Josh Lambeau thing, I I hope he don't shank one and hit a fan this year uh, because it's been terrible, man. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you you pretty much hit it all on the head, man. John was a great guest, man. Glad to have him on. And maybe next time, you know, we could get the whole crew over there to come and join us and what what a what a show that would be, right? Yeah, a lot of energy is <laughs> what it would be. And uh, John, before we we get out of here, uh, please tell our audience where they can find all of your work and you know anything else you wanna you wanna plug, of course. Yeah. So as you guys mentioned, I'm I'm not one of the puppets on the Believe in the Number One Bengals podcast, but definitely check us out. Uh, we previewed the game with James earlier in the week, and I'm sure we're gonna have some type of post game reaction that's gonna be up there as well. You can read my work at cincyjungle.com. We're gonna pump out some Jaguars coverage or Bengals Jaguars coverage starting like Wednesday and leading up through the weekend. And you can follow me on Twitter at John two underscore Sheeran. Thank you so much guys for having me on though. Absolutely. All of that will be linked in this episode show notes. So uh, John, thank you so much for joining us and we hope to catch up with you soon. Thanks guys. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that conversation there with John and shout out to not only him, but also Daddio and Hoji, one of our favorite shows here on the Believe Podcast Network. We'll make sure to get all their stuff linked over there in the show notes. So great insight there from John here. We'll also link their YouTube page so you can check out when you joined their show just the other day. So really excited for Thursday Night Football and, you know, really two up and coming teams with two, of course, young quarterbacks, as you mentioned, you know, going to be the future of the league. And um, yeah, just really appreciate John and and his time as we we head into this week. Yeah, man. Some of our favorite people to have on as guests, man. Like hilarious, hilarious podcasts that they do over there. And yeah, we got to see it from a different perspective this time with John coming in. Some different insight there that we can get from him. And uh, we appreciate him coming on. Absolutely, folks. So we're going to wrap up here for this week. Jay, do you want to let everybody know what they have to look forward to over on the Jaguars wire? And of course, here. On believe in the Jaguars before we close it out for this week. Yeah, it's a short week and it's kind of weird for you to get in a groove on a short week in terms of the content and articles because the game sneaks up on you as fast. But at the same time, you know, if it's going to be a bad thing, you know, you get the pain over with quick, right? And if it's a good thing, you get you get to celebrate quicker than everybody else during the uh, week four. So it's, it has its pros, it has its cons. But yeah, we'll be doing probably behind enemy lines we already did the audio version kind of with, you know, John, obviously. But in terms of on Jaguars Wire, I'll probably do that with Chris Boylan over there or Bowling. I'm sorry. 
with the Bengals wire. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll have some more content up on, uh, you know, the Bengals and kind of giving you all a preview on them. And then, uh, you know, we can all enjoy our week after Thursday, whether the Jags win or lose, we get to enjoy our week early. And uh, maybe if that's the case, the Jaguars should have Thursday night games every week. Exactly. Go out there and enjoy your weekend. I'm just kind of looking forward to sleeping in a little bit on Sunday. So hopefully I can do that. But yeah, we definitely hope that the Jaguars are able to come out with a win with the country watching. But Thank you all so much for joining us on Believe in the Jaguars. Again, if you're enjoying the show and you're listening on your iPhone or your Apple device, please consider subscribing and leaving us a five-star review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Of course, you can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can follow the show on social media at Believe in Jags Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I. P-I-N-O, and Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Don. This has been Believe in the Jaguars, presented by Bet Online. Don't forget to believe in the Jaguars, but more importantly, believe in yourselves, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.